love just being in ministry and having the chance to be intimately involved in people's lives and uh, getting the chance to share some of the most meaningful and important things and seasons that people go through, you know. I think just being a pastor, that's one of the greatest privileges that we get to have. And I've been doing this long enough now where even though there's things that, there's always things that come at you that you've never seen before that catch you off guard or whatever, there's still a lot of things that you see repetitively, you know, you see almost like patterns and things that continue to happen in the lives of God's people and in God's children. And one of the things that I, I see a lot, and I've gone through this many times myself too, I'll talk about that a little later on, um, a situation in particular, but one of the things that I see a lot is, is people that are moving down a course or a direction that they know God has led them into, that God has been, uh, you know, helping them to see a path to take or something that they would do in their life. And along the way, as they're moving forward, trying to persist through this thing, circumstances and challenges and events start to happen around them that cause them to almost like start second guessing whether this is really what they're supposed to do or wondering if maybe it's time to kind of get off of this track, you know, that they, they were originally set on that God had sort of spoke to them. And then they start going into, you know, even like these times and seasons of like, I'm just really waiting for God. You know, I feel like God's wanting to move us out of this or, or you know, this is this season is ending. This season is over. And then and then even spend like a real delayed amount of time in this place where they're, they feel like they should be hearing from God to leave, but they're not hearing from God to leave. And, but yet the circumstances seem so challenging that it's almost like they're signs in themselves in our mind that we're supposed to quit doing this thing or something. And um, so it, it comes down to, you know, really just a matter of staying the course and con continuing to persist down the direction or the path that you know God originally spoke for you to, to do, even though some of the things that are happening seem to be challenging you or, or making it even more difficult to, to finish the work that you originally set out to do. And one of the things that I learned just a long time ago is when God speaks something to you, when he's leading you when he's directing you down a path and you're moving on that that if God doesn't also speak for you to change that if God doesn't tell you to leave that thing then chances are that's probably not what God is looking for you to do right it's and many times whenever I'm, I'm meeting with people and I'm talking with people and I'm getting a feel for the situation that they're in I'm trying I'm understanding like you know, the difficulties of what's happening, how this thing all originated. So much of the time, what I see is in my mind, in my heart, I feel like, yes, this really was God that led you into this place. This really was God that spoke this thing to you, that placed this passion in you, these gifts in you. And I believe that you've got to where you're at right now because you've been following God. So you didn't just all of a sudden make a wrong turn or now you're looking around like, I know he told me to do this, but all of a sudden now I'm wondering if that's really the case. So in my heart, and I speak this a lot of times with faith and with authority, it says, look, if you are at the place you're at now because God's been leading you all this time here don't you think if you were supposed to just get off of this track that God would speak that to you as well and if it's not so much what you are hearing from God as much as maybe what you're not hearing from God 
in those moments, right? And I just, it's like God, what God starts, he intends to finish, right? Every good work that he begins in us, he intends to see it through. And that, that's truth, that's scripture. We ha- hold on to that and know in these moments and in these times when the road gets rocky and the, and the journey gets tough, that doesn't mean our flesh may try to tell us that. The enemy may try to deceive us that, that, that this means we're supposed to quit or give up or do something different now. But I'm just pleading with you, unless God is speaking that to you, I'm not saying we don't ever change or shift, right? But unless he's really speaking to that to you, you should know that if God's led you to the place you are, he intends to finish that work that he originally set out to do in you. Amen? Amen. So, so let me ask that question to us today. Can we relate with that? Can we relate with that, right? Most certainly, I'm sure there's a lot of people right now that you are going through something or you're in a place where you feel like that's, that's right where you are. And if you're not, chances are you have or will go through something like this uh, many times over in your earthly walk before you go to be with the Lord. Because we've seen so many examples of that in Scripture throughout history that the people of God that are doing the work of God are regularly challenged with the idea of aborting the mission or giving up or facing earthly natural circumstances that seem to almost overwhelm and perplex the situation that make it uh, that they have to really rise above those things in order to stay the course. And one of my favorite people in the Bible that I, I know it is a great lesson of just staying the course. In fact, that's the title of my message today, staying the course, is, is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. And so, in fact, let me just pause for a moment. I want to pray before I get into this. Father, I just ask you that you would begin to speak through me the truths according to your word. Minister to every individual here, God. Use your, the word to just powerfully speak to them, minister to them, and strengthen them. Give them exactly what it is that they need in the places that they are that I can't even begin to see. But you know each and every person's situation here. I ask you to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, Nehemiah is a guy that started a mission, that that began a mission that began to uh, have so many things come along that were difficult and challenging and almost reasons for him to to give up or to think, man, maybe this isn't exactly the way that this is supposed to go. But he was resilient in the way he stayed the course and pressed through all of these difficulties along the way and completed the task, completed the mission that God had assigned him to do. And so let me give you a little bit of background, but if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Nehemiah, starting out in chapter 1. And the background is this. There was um, something known as the Babylonian captivity that happened. And what that was is that the the Babylonian Empire essentially overran the nation of Israel, conquered them, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, tore down all the walls, basically burned the city to the ground, destroyed the ancient temple that Solomon built that was the magnificent temple, and they just laid waste to the whole thing. Now, the reason for that is because the people of Israel had turned away from God, and they weren't serving him, and they were involved in all kinds of sin. We won't get into all that, but that's what happened. So God just essentially sort of lifted his covering, sort of just took his hand off of Israel and allowed them to be overrun. And the Babylonian Empire basically enslaved them and took them uh, away from Jerusalem and held them in captivity for 70 years. 
So imagine that, you know, like many of the people after this is over, they've never known anything except living in captivity. If they were born while they were in captivity or they were young whenever they were taken away. And so the Babylonian Empire ends up getting destroyed and overrun by the Persian Empire. So the Persians are ruling now and they've just kind of like inherited the people that are enslaved, if you will, of Israel. And God begins to use the king of, of Persia, King Cyrus, and he, he softens this man's heart and allows him to start letting the people of Israel go back to Jerusalem to sort of reestablish themselves. They're not really a threat, so it's not like they're worried about, the, the Persians aren't really worried about them rising up and conquering them. They just God has just sort of softened their heart towards that nation. And Nehemiah is one of the guys that gets this burden and this calling and this passion to be involved in the process of restoring the nation of Israel and restoring uh, Jerusalem. And so I want to just begin in verse 3 through 4 in chapter 1 so we can see how this thing actually starts because many of us, the things that God is leading us to do or has led us to do have started much in a similar way. It says here that Nehemiah hears about, uh, and they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So many times, the work that God sets us out to do with to do begins with a burden that's on our heart. It begins with a sense of compassion that we have for our fellow man or for some situation that is going on that God is, is drawing our heart to. And our heart breaks like God's heart breaks for that thing. And, and there's, there's so much in that because God has typically gifted us and, and prepared us and given us the things that's going to be required to actually do something in his strength strength to correct that injustice or to go about being a difference, a catalyst to make a difference in that thing that's burdening our heart, that's breaking our heart, much like Nehemiah. So he sees that the people are hurting, that the nation is laid to waste. He gets this overwhelming burden, but he starts to, to go into prayer and fast, and he's seeking God for direction, knowing that something is brewing, something is happening, and I'm seeking God for the direction on where to go with this. And then what ends up happening as a result of how he approaches this thing is that God opens the doors of opportunity and he gives him a vision for what exactly it is that he needs to do. So God begins to release him to go and do something in this situation, but he also gives him a vision of, of what that is that he's going to do. And so if we jump over into verse uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through 6, this is where that reads. It says, therefore... The king said to me, this is the king saying to Nehemiah, Why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. And so I became dreadfully afraid and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, Well, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven... And I said to the king, 
If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and I set him a time. So God obviously opens the doors for Nehemiah to be able to pursue doing a work to, to be, a, be a difference maker in this situation that's burdening his heart. And many times that's, that's how it happens for us. You know, something is burdening us. Something is we've got compassion on people or situation. We're feeling stirred up like there's gifts in us that we know need to be put to use. And we're seeking God for that. And then God starts to open doors. He begins to give us a sense of release and departure to go and now pursue this thing that he's really birthed in us to begin with. And you can tell by the way Nehemiah talks to the king. I mean, he even says here, the king's like, well, why are you so sad? And, he's, and he says he was afraid, like he didn't want to say the wrong thing and make the king upset. So it isn't like he had planned on going to the king and asking him all this, right? It was these things happen and God just supernaturally opened the doors of opportunity for him to be able to walk through it. And so then he goes and he goes back to Jerusalem and he's there and he's, he's investigating the scene because now he knows God is giving him a vision to go back and rebuild the walls and help rebuild the city to bring restoration so that the people can then worship in their homeland. They can occupy the area that God had given them and there can be a sense of restoration now for the people and that's what he's leading Nehemiah to do. So he goes back and I love that the way he approaches this is he kind of starts to seek God's wisdom and he gets a strategy and he understands, okay, this is, this is sort of how we're going to go about this. He walks around the city, and this is in chapter 2 as well. I'm not going to read through all that, but he walks around the city. He sees all the burned down materials and he starts to understand, okay, we're going to have to do this. We're going to have to rebuild there. We're going to be able to use these materials. And it even says here that he, he didn't say anything to anybody too prematurely. Like he didn't go and tell all the other leaders and all the other workers. This is, you know, he, he made sure that he rested and kind of waited on God to give him more specific direction and instruction. And then once he had that, he began to tell the people about it and declare the vision and gather the followers so that he was mobilizing now for the task at hand. So there's a lot to be drawn from that and just how he used wisdom. He didn't just rush out there and just start doing something because he knew there was a burden and because God had started to open some doors. He really made sure that he sought God's wisdom, that he had a plan, and he knew the direction he was going to go. And once he did, he could clearly communicate it, and then he began to speak that to the rest of the people and mobilize the troops, so to speak. So there was momentum and there was power behind what they were about to do. I'll just read this verse to you, 17. And then I said to them, he's, this is Nehemiah, now talking to the people, after he's got the plan, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. I love this. He's, he's declaring the passion behind the vision. He's, he's speaking about the burden that birthed this thing so that that passion can catch on to the rest of the people. So he's communicating the vision, and in all of chapter 3, they start to get to work, 
right? They start rebuilding things. They, they're cleaning up the area. They're making a lot of progress. They're working hard. Things are clicking and coming together. And then as you move past that into chapter 4 is when some of the great difficulties start to set in. And this is really where I guess the heart of my message is today is it's like God birthed something. He, he brought something out. He set him in a course and on a mission. He was moving along. Things were starting to happen and, and connect. And he could tell that this was working. That, that God was with them, and then all of a sudden things start happening around them that, that begin to threaten this mission or would really challenge Nehemiah to stay the course and stay consistent to finish the work that God originally set him on to do. And so here are some of the difficulties that we see. First, there are adversaries around the land that are surrounding Jerusalem that begin to threaten them. They sort of move up. They get close. They see that, that, that uh, Israel is trying to do something to rebuild. And so they, they impose a threat. They send messengers over to make it like, you know, hey, if you try to do this, we're going to stop you. We're going to, you know, come in. We're going to attack you. And all these things are going to happen. And so now here, here's something that Nehemiah probably didn't even consider. Not only am I going to have to rebuild the walls and do all the labor, now we're going to have to prepare the troops for war for battle. We're going to have to prepare them to fight and to protect what we're doing while we're doing it. I just find this really interesting. In verse uh, 15, it says, and it, this is chapter four, and when it happened, our enemies heard it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing and, and all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on, half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears and shields and bows and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So, Obviously, this is detracting from the proficiency of doing the work now, right? He was probably thinking we're going to go in, we're just going to get to work, and we're going to start rebuilding the walls, and it's going to take some time, but we're going to get it done. So not only are they busting their butt, working hard, getting fatigued, probably working long hours, now they've got to be ready for battle and be doing the work at the same time. So it's slowing them down. It's, he's probably thinking at this time, God, I know you told me to do this, but why is this happening? Now it's not... Now I can't do this as quickly or as proficiently as what I could if this wasn't the case. Why don't you just remove this threat? And I don't know the answer to that, but obviously God allowed that threat to be there and it challenged their faith. And so now they've got around the clock hours happening. They're up all night guarding the walls, guarding the people. They're carrying a sword in one hand and their tools in the other. And they're getting even more fatigued now, right? It's starting to wear down. We know that after, after uh, slightly after that, they start to get really hungry. They're lacking food and nourishment. It says here in chapter 5, verse 1 and there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren for there were those who said we our sons and our daughters are many therefore let us get grain that we may eat and we may live so there's a, now there's now there's a hunger issue that's starting to set in the people don't have food so now we've got to protect the city we've got to make sure that the enemy is staying at bay we've got to keep rebuilding the walls and working and now we've got to figure out a way to just 
get food too. So we're going to have to get another group of people organized to get food. So you see this. There's all these little things that are starting to happen around the important mission or the main mission that's at hand, which is rebuilding the walls. But Nehemiah keeps pressing through, whereas a lot of people would probably say, you know what, I guess maybe this isn't the right thing. I mean, I, I thought God wanted us to rebuild these walls, but I mean, we've got, look at this. We, they may attack us and kill us. We're running out of food. Obviously, this just isn't what God wants us to do. A lot of people would probably think that, but not Nehemiah, because he's got the resolve to stay the course. He knows that God has sent him on this mission. And even if these things seem to be slowing it down, delaying it, adding to the level of difficulty, he doesn't see that as a sign that he's supposed to abort the mission or change the mission. He just continues to move forward with persistence to, to see the work finished that he originally set out to do. Then we know that civil disruption starts to uh, break out. The people are, are starting to complain to him that they, they had to borrow money for food and to pay taxes. And so now they're, they don't have money to pay back. And so they're sending their daughters and their sons into slavery as repayment for the debt that they owe. And so Nehemiah steps in and becomes the governor of the land. Now he's in chapter uh, 5. This is in verse 14. He becomes the governor over the people now. I'm sure he didn't see that one coming, right? I mean, he was probably thinking, I'm a project manager. I'm the construction guy. Now he's the governor, and he's resolving civil matters and, and maintaining peace over the people. So I'm sure that took a lot of his time, probably little private meetings going along the side here while the work's being done. He's probably wishing, man, I just want to be out there on the wall helping this thing go up and get these walls done so we can finish this job. But now so much of his time is occupied with keeping peace with the people, you know, settling civil matters, making sure food's being brought in, making sure that the weapons are good and the enemies at bay. You see where I'm going? It's like all this stuff is happening around the, the main mission that he set out to do. But he's still continuing to just go with the flow. He's, just, he's taking those things and he's moving forward in strength and he's not deviating from continuing to see the plan that God had for him uh, completed. Then, it, then there's a conspiracy, and he's threatened to be betrayed. Uh, in chapter 6, there's a situation where some of his own people, he finds out, are trying to betray him and, and see him thrown out of power. So he's dealing with this whole situation. And everything is, is just happening around him, but he's staying the course. And then it is in, in chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. So it was a 52-day project that it ended up lasting. And it happened when all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things, they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. So he stayed the course through all these difficulties, through all this adversity, and now the project that he was originally burdened with and his heart was set on is now completed. But really, it was just the beginning of so much more that God had planned. Because in verse 4 of chapter 7, it says, Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. So now the city 
that he's rebuilt, that he's put the walls back up. Now it's, it's opened up so that people can begin to fill in and now inhabit these, this land and that they can begin to worship their God again. So the project itself was only really the beginning of something greater that God had to do. And so I pause there and I say to us that so much of the time, We've got to stay the course through the difficult things because when we complete the task and we see that mission accomplished for God and through God, it's only just the beginning of making space for so much more of God's blessings to move in and occupy your life, right? Going from one season to the next. But, but the thing is, if we get derailed, if we get off track and we never see these missions and these assignments come to fruition, we may never know what's on the other side of that. We may, we may never make it far enough to then get the future glimpses of what God has in store, the new seeds that he wants to lay down in our heart to prepare us for greater things that may be ahead. And I, I've seen so many people where their entire lives are spent starting and stopping assignments and never actually completing these things. Never actually seeing something through to fruition, right? And the challenge is, is that if we do that, then we end up not really taking steps and advancements and climbing forward and, and seeing all these great things of God be built one thing on top of the other through the seasons of our lives because we're not finishing the work or completing the missions that God is setting us to do. And every one of us in every mission or every assignment that God is going to give us, there's going to be, it's going to be surrounded with difficulties and trials and things that would threaten to derail it or derail detour us from, from finishing that work that God has set us on to do. And, and in this case, God seems to allow some of those things to happen. Certainly, God could have removed every one of those things, right? He could have provided food. He could have just made the enemy just drop and not be a threat. He could have removed all these things, but somehow God seems to allow these things to happen. And what happened? What is the result is that Nehemiah, his faith grows and the resolve of the people grows and they are actually strengthened in a way that nothing else could have done so that they are a stronger people for the years ahead of what God has for them. And I love the thing that starts to occur after all of this and they begin to move into the city is that genuine worship and celebration starts to break out. In chapter 8, verse 6, it says... Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. He was reading uh, some of the things of the law, and the people were listening intently. They were learning. They were being taught again the, the message of their ancestors that God had gave them. And then it says, Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There's through the sense of accomplishment and the missions being completed, there's this celebration, I mean genuine worship, because no other way than through God's strength could this have happened. They are on their face, their feet to the ground, worshiping and celebrating God. And, and God's presence is on them again, and he's resting on them, and he's blessing them. And we know that in verse 10, one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible, in my opinion, it says, for the joy of the the Lord is your strength. 
right? And I mean, there's this joy of, of accomplishing the mission, and now there's a new light, there's a new sense of hope of what's ahead, that because they've moved from completing one thing into the seeing more of the next things that God has for them. And so there's a celebration, there's worship, there's joy, and they are strengthened as a result of that. They are a stronger people for what they have gone through. And obviously, Nehemiah has learned a great deal. But it's interesting as we look at all of these things, that everything that came along, Nehemiah handled it with incredible honor towards God. He had a great compassion for the people. It tells us in these stories that when he became governor, he didn't even partake of all of like the resources that the governor would normally have, all the great food and all. He shared it with the people and with his leaders. So this is a guy that through this whole thing, he was just continuing to seek God and he was doing everything that he did in a way that was honoring. He was deserving of this calling. He, deser- he, he walked it out because he was pure before God and he made sure that in everything he did it was the compassion on the people and and the purpose of the mission getting completed that was taking priority and he sacrificed himself in order to see that through so in conclusion to this Dan let's go ahead and bring the team back up here you know many times as we're moving forward. There's going to be a lot of things that happen around the mission. It seems like just more got added to our plate or more than what we originally thought was supposed to be a part of the journey. And they're not necessarily signs that we're on the wrong track or that we need to abort, or we need to change course. I mean, not saying never, maybe we do need to shift sometimes, but maybe we don't, right? But maybe we don't. I remember whenever um, I started going to Life Church in 2002, Katie had actually gone here since she was a little girl, she went to school here, but when we were going to, uh, to church here for a few years, uh, God was doing some amazing things in our life and he was just getting a hold of our hearts and you know filling us with a sense of destiny and purpose and what we were going to do and we just knew that this was the place God had called us to this is the church that God wanted us to plant our feet and really grow up strong in and that happened for several years you know we were just getting sharpened and, and loving it and there were some some things that happened at, at that time where uh, there were some changes in the church where some folks that we had aligned with, some people that we had built relationships with and that we were kind of close to um, for their own reasons. And, you know, I don't know that they were always the greatest of reasons, but they ended up deciding to leave the church and go on to other places. And it was just, it was really strange because... It was almost like everybody that we had connected with and aligned with was, was going on to something else. And seemingly, in that situation, it was like, well, I, I guess maybe we're supposed to go too, you know? I mean, I guess we're supposed to do, go on to something different. But there just, was, there just wasn't a piece about it there. Look, I was a fairly 
what I consider a pretty immature Christian at the time, but I just knew there was just something that wasn't there, that was missing, that was there when I knew we were supposed to be here. And so we really prayed and sought God, and, and God was just, it was just kind of like, I don't even know that he ever necessarily spoke directly to me, but it was more of this sense that if I called you to be here, and I haven't called you to leave, why are you even considering going? You know? And it was like, I've, I've lived through so many situations now in my life where I could say that that lesson has walked with me through it. I don't know why all this is happening right now. I'm not sure why all these circumstances seem so difficult and so challenging for me to stay the course. But all I know is I've walked with God every step of the way to get here. And he's been with me and he's led me to this point. And if I'm here now because I've walked with him and he's led me, I didn't make a wrong turn. I didn't get off track. And if he's not telling me to leave, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to stay the course. And so I just, I, I plead with you, let that peace that always rests in the presence of God and in the places that he's with you in be your ultimate guide. You will have peace along every step you take with God and the plan he has for your life. He is peace. It will always be there. You may not know all the details of everything, but let that peace be your guide. And trust the journey you've walked thus far with him that's got you where you are.